You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. When we think of plants, algae may not be the first thing that comes to mind. But they actually are plants and in this episode I have a Twitter friend of mine, Carla, on the show to introduce us to these strange primitive life forms. So thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Algae is something that's I've never really looked too much into it. So when I was writing the questions, I actually learned quite a lot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to try to explain these things to people. I don't think it's something that people think about a lot, mm. even though they're everywhere. <laughs> well, they're the descendants of the primordial plants, are they not? They pretty much are the primordial plants, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> so, I guess, why are you the person that would be the right person to speak about algae? The right one? Well, I happen to know a fair bit about algae, I suppose, since I've been working with them more or less for, I guess, three years or so. And before that, I did some like internships in various like research labs with microalgae specifically, so... Yeah, it's something I'm very interested in and that I'm working with actively. Mm. And you're working on a PhD in the field, is that right? Yes, I'm doing a PhD on characterization of algal biomass for like industrial purposes and such. Okay, cool. Can you tell me a little bit about that work that you're doing in the sort of with your PhD? Like, what does that involve? Right now, I'm mostly getting samples of uh, seaweed algae from different countries in the northern Atlantic Ocean and then characterizing them for. Uh, mostly like carbohydrates and proteins and fatty acids to see what's in them, basically, mm. like nutritionally speaking. Ah, very interesting. So it's about food, not necessarily about ecology or stuff like that. It's, I guess we're mostly looking at uh, sort of farmed mm. algae, seaweed for food or animal feed. Mm. So, but I think we're going to look into like naturally occurring seaweed as well to see mm. sort of the, the quality of the seaweed, so to speak. Well, it's a very nutritionally dense food, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So I guess, how do we classify algae? Like, how do we define algae? Algae is a very broad and uh, vaguely defined term that <laughs> covers quite a lot of things. Sort of in the broadest sense, it's basically aquatic photosynthetic plants or plant-like organisms. But not all algae live in the water, though, so they're not necessarily aquatic, and not all the plants that live in water are algae either. For example, like reeds and wild rice that live in water, but they're mm. technically land plants. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in general, that's kind of what they are, aquatic photosynthetic organisms. But even then, like a few of them have even lost their photosynthetic machinery, so they don't, they don't even perform photosynthesis anymore. They live in parasitic or otherwise heterotrophic lifestyles, but they're still considered algae. Hmm. But yeah, so algae is a term that covers a wide array of organisms from different uh, taxonomic groups. Hmm. It's, so it's sort of like a catch-all, basically like a miscellaneous term for primitive plants, and they don't all belong to the same kingdom. Kind of, yes. How do you say that they sort of differ from the plants that we all know and love, you know, that we deal with every day in our gardens? Okay, so. The plants that people know are terrestrial plants or land plants, and uh, the way that algae differ from them is that they lack structural features like leaves and roots and the other organs which uh, like bryophytes and tracheophytes tend to have. And in the case of seaweed, they tend to have anatomical features similar to land plants, like 
their sort of body is called a thallus, which consists of blade, which is sometimes very reminiscent of leaves, but it's not quite the same thing. And they also tend to have a stem-like structure called a stipe, as well as a holdfast, which is sometimes looks a bit like a root system, but it's not at all a root. Its own, only purpose is to anchor the alga to a solid substrate like a rock or the seafloor or something. So they, they can look a little bit like land plants, but they're completely different, actually. We had Roz Gledo, who is the president of the Global Plant Council on the show, and she was speaking about bryophytes, sort of saying that, yeah, they lack a vascular system. So I suppose that algae are also in a similar position in that they lack a vascular system as well. Yes, exactly. Right. So can you describe how did plants sort of evolve out of algae? Like what sort of organisms did the first algal organisms evolve out of? Well, algae are thought to have evolved from an early sort of bacteria that carried out a type of photosynthesis called anoxygenic photosynthesis, which probably evolved like 3.4 billion years ago or so. But they absorbed infrared light instead of visible light. And instead of producing uh, oxygen, they produced uh, sulfur-based compounds. But they had a sort of similar photosynthetic machinery to what algae have nowadays. So it is kind of thought that cyanobacteria evolved from these ancestral bacteria, and then they began oxygen and reaching the atmosphere by performing the kind of photosynthetic photosynthesis that we're used to today. Mm. I'd like to speak a little bit about eukaryotes briefly, because my understanding is that animals like us humans and plants as well, both sort of feature these eukaryotic cells, which would seem to indicate that this is roughly the point where we branch off in terms of evolution. To some extent, yes. Not to get too deep into cell biology, I guess, but eukaryotes basically evolved through something called endosymbiosis between some sort of prokaryote and an aerobic bacterium, which basically two different bacteria. So the, anaer- the aerobic bacteria became a permanent sort of subcellular compartment within the other bacterium. Mm. And this compartment is now called the mitochondria, which people might have heard of. And that is what produces energy using aerobic metabolism for the, the eukaryote. And then eukaryotic algae subsequently evolved in a similar event where a eukaryote engulfed a cyanobacterium. And that cyanobacterium basically became the first chloroplast, which is what all plants have now. And that's the machinery that performs photosynthesis. So that was pretty much the branching point between plants and other eukaryotes like animals and fungi Hmm. when the chloroplast became a part of the plant lineage. So what's the difference between a simple and a complex algae? Well, generally speaking, I suppose we can uh, refer to microalgae as relatively simple compared to macroalgae, which, as I mentioned before, are anatomically a bit more similar to land plants. Uh, micro, of course, means small, while macro means large. So, hmm. so I guess your macroalgae are the things that you've sort of talked about. Maybe they have root-like structures, leaf-like structures. We're talking about, yeah, seaweed, stuff like that. Exactly. So I guess what we're talking about with simple ones are sort of the single-celled algae, as you've sort of said as well. Yeah. So I'd like to touch on some of the larger groups of algae, I guess the taxonomic groups or, you know, how we can sort of divide algae up into different groups with similar characteristics. Mm -hmm. What is planktonic algae or plankton? Yeah, planktonic algae, yes. Planktonic algae or phytoplankton, so basically plant plankton, that is the sort of subgrouping of the plankton grouping, which is just very small 
water-living organisms, both animals and plants. But phytoplankton specifically refer to, um, well, that covers basically more or less all of the microscopic algae. So it includes both the prokaryotic and the eukaryotic microalgae, including green algae, diatoms, dinoflagellates, and coccolithophores. But let's not get too deep into <laughs> the specific types. I think that's good because we're a horticultural podcast and this episode is really just for gardeners to get a bit of a grasp on on these topics. And we're not looking to mm -hmm. serve biologists, essentially. We're looking to serve gardeners. Mm -hmm. So in saying that, though, we can go on to the next group, which we can call filamentous algae. What are we talking about here? Yes, filamentous algae is a term that usually refers to specific types of microalgae, so the small algae, which tend to form long strings of individual cells. The individual filaments, as they're called, the strings, they're microscopically thin since they're only one cell in width, basically, but together they can form such large uh, sort of mats of long algal strands that you can actually like see them and touch them, lift them with your hands. So mm. They're like these massive colonies of microalgae. Right. Instead of, you know, maybe if with some of your microalgae, when you put your hand into the water, don't do this at home because this can be unsafe. But you might yes. sort of pull up your hand and, and it doesn't blob together, whereas these filamentous algae do actually form colonies, as you've sort of said. Exactly. Right. And then I guess we've got something called blue-green algae, and these ones are really quite nasty. Is that right? They can be, but not necessarily. Blue-green algae are also known as cyanobacteria, which I think I mentioned briefly before. Mm. And they're the oldest and typically smallest type of algae because they're bacteria, and bacteria tend to have very, very small cells although they do make up for their small size by living in gigantic colonies, like <laughs> I just mentioned. But some of them do produce toxins when they bloom, but uh, otherwise they're just a natural part of the ecosystem. Mm, totally, yeah. So then we come across like other forms of macroalgae. Can you describe some of the different types of macroalgae for us? Well, macroalgae, as opposed to microalgae, are multicellular. So the term is pretty much interchangeable with seaweed. Right. And they're probably the type of algae that people in general are the most familiar with since they're quite visible in the water. Like hmm. They're large and they look like a little bit like land plants, actually, but they come in many different types. Some of them can be many meters long and grow from the seafloor. Some of them just grow on rocks quite similar to mosses. So it's touched on, I guess, like textures a little bit earlier. You know, I sort of said that, you know, maybe you can put your hand in, some of them are going to form those colonies and fibrous things. What, how can we differentiate our algae into different textures? Well, often they tend to be quite slimy because algae <laughs> often produce these gelling agents, various polysaccharides that tend to sort of uh, foam up together with water. That's why the sea is sometimes covered in foam, because it's just algal gelling agents that have been released by living or dying algae, actually. So slimy is usually the sort of texture of algae. <laughs> mm. right. That makes a lot of sense because, yeah, I mean, when I'm thinking about the algae that I've seen and touched, yeah, it is slimy like like that. But then I guess, you know, you've got, I can think of, I don't know what sort of one it is. I think it's like the filamentous ones that we're talking about. So what's mm -hmm. the difference between a filamentous and a macroalgae? Are they included in macroalgae, are they? No, they're not because they're microbacteria or right. microalgae, sorry, that just form long strings of single individuals. So they're not one organism, so to speak. I see. Okay. I think you did say that, but I'm a bit thick. So sometimes it takes explaining things a couple of times for me to understand them. So when we're talking about algae and the ecology, they form a bit of a bottom of the base pyramid food source. 
they're readily eaten by other mm-hmm. organisms that energy sort of moves up the food chain and sometimes they're going to form a big mat over the water and nothing wants to actually eat them. <laughs> Can you speak about the conditions that encourage these different types of algae? Like is it always still water that makes for the those matted algae or? Still water definitely promotes these kind of mat formations. But this mat that you're referring to is a type of algal bloom, basically, which is usually formed by cyanobacteria and sediment particles, like sand, clay, dust, that sort of thing. And these mats, they do occur naturally, and they tend to happen during warm summers when the water warms up and the sun provides a lot of light for photosynthesis. But they do occur with greater frequency and severity nowadays due to increases in uh, global temperature and sort of water pollution. Mm. And their formation is triggered by high concentrations of nutrients like phosphorus and nitrogen, which end up in the water as a consequence of agricultural and municipal waste. So this is a process called eutrophication when the water gets saturated in nutrients. Mm -hmm. And um, I happen to live by the Baltic Sea, which is uniquely eutrophicated body of water due to generations of industrial and agricultural pollution. So um, you can see a lot of algal blooms here. And uh, yeah, they tend to be quite harmful for the uh, the water ecosystem. Yeah, that's it's a real shame. Yeah. We had Andrew Christie on episode five in marine ecosystems, and he was sort of talking about some of those toxic environments where we do get those algal blooms and just some of that damage that they can really do to the ecosystem because nothing else really wants to grow around them. Yes, and um, they also tend to limit, it sounds backwards, but they limit oxygen in the water, actually, because the algae, even though algae produce oxygen, they also, in the dark, they tend to consume oxygen. And when these mats become so dense, it limits light penetration into the water, which means that the algae can't perform photosynthesis, so they end up consuming oxygen instead. So then uh, the water becomes very... And oxygenic, I suppose is the term. So mm. a lot of the organisms that require oxygen down there can't live. And uh, the algae themselves also tend to basically clog up the water. So <laughs> the the fish basically starts inhaling algae pretty much. It's, oh. They clog up their gills more or less. They, can, they have a lot of negative effects, these mm. algal blooms. So do they have any positive effects in the ecosystem or, you know, what's their place in nature? Are they just a destructive force? <laughs> well, nothing is completely destructive. It's like I said, it's it's been a naturally occurring phenomenon. But yeah, I'm not an expert on that actually. So mm. I'm just going to say that it's something that normally occurs. So we shouldn't mm. we shouldn't hate on it too much. It's just that it occurs a bit too often and too severely nowadays, perhaps. Right, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'd like to speak a little bit about how do algal organisms reproduce? Well, since Like I mentioned, algae is a very broad term. Different algae have very different methods of reproduction. Unicellular algae tend to reproduce asexually by simple cell division, much like bacteria do. But there are exceptions. Certain diatoms, which is also a type of unicellular algae, they require a mixture of both sexual and asexual reproduction. And uh, seaweed reproduction can be either sexual or asexual, with uh, some species even going through cycles where they are periodically only sexually reproducing, and then they have periods of only asexual reproduction. And some even practice asexual reproduction just by shedding small pieces of themselves, which then end up growing into new individuals somewhere else, basically. Mm. So they're essentially propagating by cutting. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) In episode 21 of the podcast, we had another Twitter friend of mine who I think that you know as well, Ben Kendrick. Are you friends with Ben? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
necessarily, but we've probably spoken at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was sort of briefly speaking about lichens as a symbiotic relationship between a fungus and an algae. How does that work? Well, basically, the fungus provides the structure of the lichen, which gives shelter and a sort of moist living environment to the algae, because the fungus more or less encases the algae in sort of uh, liquid filled matrix. And the algae in turn uses photosynthesis to produce sugars, which uh, nurtures the fungus. And uh, also, if the algae in question happens to be a cyanobacterium, it can also provide nitrogen, since cyanobacteria tend to be nitrogen-fixing. And this symbiosis is highly successful, since lichen can be found in a very wide variety of ecosystems across the entire planet. So, Mm. that's interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. It sort of blows your mind just how these two different organisms that are basically not closely related at all are working together to create Mm -hmm. something that, when you look at it, maybe you just think it's a, a fungus at first. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So how would we differentiate between an algae and, say, a moss or lichen that we see, you know, because they might just both look like a green blob to the the untrained eye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, that I'm not an expert in, but generally speaking, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. There are certain algae that look deceptively like mosses, actually, and some uh, mosses that uh, are quite reminiscent of algae, so... That is something that I'm not an expert in, since I mostly work with algae in the lab. Mm. So so we can just technically call them a green blob. A g- blob, yeah. Green <laughs> or sometimes red. Or sometimes red, yeah. Blue. Yeah, exactly. Irish moss is a, it's a type of seaweed, actually, that is red. Right. So, But it's called moss. <laughs> cool. I always like to ask our guests, is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about? Well, I guess when it comes to algae, like... Algae have a lot of, um, they've had a very big impact on ecosystems across the entire world. I mean, cyanobacteria were the things that produced most of the oxygen in the atmosphere. And even nowadays, algae produce, I think, the vast majority of oxygen that we breathe, basically, even compared to forests and and the rainforest, even. Um, So they are a very large part of the the planet that we live on. And um, there's a lot of potential uses for algae industrially speaking and agriculturally so there's a lot of research going into using them for both um, pharmaceuticals or for food or animal feed and that's uh, part of what we work with Mm. i guess that's basically what i wanted to say Mm. so i guess it's easy to overlook these little things but yeah they're pretty important to plant life and life on earth in general exactly they're tiny but important tiny but important thanks for coming on the show Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun to talk. If you like this sort of content, make sure you follow this podcast and check back every Sunday afternoon for a brand new episode. And if you really love this content, you can show us some of that love by sharing it with your family, friends and work colleagues. And you can even give us a five-star review with a comment on Apple Podcasts as well. Make sure you check out back catalogue where we've covered topics such as identifying plants with scientific names, plant biology basics, and marine ecology.
our gardeners probably aren't looking to grow algae. That's probably probably wouldn't be something that people would grow in their garden. <laughs> well, some people do try to grow um, spirulina, a type of cyanobacterium, for like uh, for food purposes, like like in a sort of a- amateur fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people do try to grow algae. It's a it's a whole thing. 